that. Can we have that background, that background slide up for the message with that verse on for us, thanks? For we are God's masterpiece, created anew in Christ Jesus, that we can do all the good works that he planned for us long ago. wonder what, what, you, um, what you think when you hear the word missions. I know that for some people, maybe it's, ah, oh, that's not my thing. <laughs> I'll like, um, leave that to somebody else. Bit of an old word. I've, in, in a past life, I've come across uh, some people, only, only one or two, have said to me, ah, oh, it won't be at church for the next month, it's missions month. And that's not what I do. Which is really so sad. I want to suggest today we're not about missions, we're about a masterpiece. And we're about a master craftsman called God. We want to explore how he creates a masterpiece in each of us. When you come into my house, um, when you come to the front door and open the front door, what you see in front of you is a masterpiece. Because we've got this big mirror on the wall. God's creating you as a masterpiece. It's a special masterpiece if I'm standing in front of you. But it's, it's, God is creating in each of us a masterpiece. He's not patching up something old. He's created something anew. But he's also creating a massive masterpiece, which has all these masterpieces in it. It's a wonderful, wonderful masterpiece. So today, I don't feel so much that I'm at a launch of Missions Week, because a launch sounds like I'm pushing a boat out to sea or sending a rocket up to sky. Instead, I feel like I'm in this massive art gallery and we're unveiling a masterpiece, God's masterpiece. And as we go through these next three weeks and, and delve into different parts of that masterpiece, what, what we're hearing from God is, this is what I'm doing in you so that you do. Not so that you do these things that are a task or a chore or someone twists your arm, but you just can't help yourself because you are so in awe of what God is doing in you and it's changing you. You are so amazed at this massive masterpiece that will not be fully revealed, yet that's going to wait till God is ready to reveal the full masterpiece. But in the meantime, we have lots of glimpses of it and we just want to be a part of that. So that's what we're about. Now, if you go to an art gallery to a launch, they're likely to have the artist there, which we have. Thank you, Father, for your presence today. But they're also likely to say, we're going to show you this painting and we'd like to show you a bit about what's behind the painting, what the masterpiece, what the master craftsman had in mind when he was painting and how he approached his work. Well, Ephesians 1 does that for us. In fact, the whole book of Ephesians does that for us it gives us a glimpse about what God is about in the world what God is about in the future what God has been about in the past and what God is about today in us so I'd love you to come with me to Ephesians chapter 1 today I'm going to read it from the Passion Translation it's, it's a translation that I particularly enjoy I've had a lot to do with um, Bible translation in a in a former life Di and I spent seven years with Wycliffe and Lindell's served her time with Wycliffe. Um, and I got the opportunity to go to so many projects in the world where a Bible translator is sitting in a mud hut translating the scriptures into the heart language of this small people group. And I saw the passion with which he would do that. And these guys, they know the word. 
They know, um, they know the original text, they work from the original text, but they also know the language of the people. They go to a lot of trouble to learn the language of the people that they're translating from the original into their heart language. And their desire is to be very accurate to the word, but also into a language that these people understand, it speaks to their heart. So this guy, Dr. Brian Simmons, he was a translator. He's a translator. He knows the word of God really well and he just has a passion. And what he wanted to do was put the scriptures into our heart language, right? The language of our heart. And I love it. At the back, when it talks about the translator, it starts this way. Dr. Brian Simmons is, he doesn't say he's got a major in theology and divinity and linguistics, which he has. All it says is, Dr. Brian Simmons is known as a passionate lover of God. Don't you love that line? No, not only is he a passionate lover of God, but that's what he's known as. <laughs> Wouldn't it be great to be known as that? So it's that man who's behind this translation. It's God who's behind this translation. I believe he's inspired it and he's used this man. So we're going to read from this passage today. My name is Paul and I was chosen by God to be an apostle of Jesus the Messiah. I'm writing this letter to all the devoted believers who have been made holy by being one with Jesus, the anointed one. That's you. That's you. So he's, Paul's in prison and he's writing to you. In fact, in the original text, it's not, this letter isn't addressed to Ephesus. It's not addressed to, there's no personal, it's the only letter that there's no personal greeting. It's not addressed to a church that has a particular specific. It's addressed to the church, to us, to us. And he goes and says, May God himself, the Heavenly Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, release grace over you and impart total well-being into your lives. What a wonderful translation of that prayer. What a wonderful way to pray for each other. Doesn't that car carry everything? Really? Steve, may God himself, the Heavenly Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, release grace over you and impart total well-being into your life. Let's pray that over Steve and Mark this week. Yeah. Kim and Beck, as you take on that new role, may God, the Heavenly Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, release grace over you and impart total well-being into your lives. How often do you say, I don't know how to pray for people? Paul shows you that everything is wrapped up in those words. Our sonship, oh no, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm has already been lavished upon us as a love gift from our wonderful heavenly Father, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, all because he sees us wrapped into Christ. This is why we celebrate him with all our hearts, with all our hearts. And he chose us to be his very own, joining us to himself, even before he laid the foundation of the universe. Because of his great love, he ordained us so that we would be seen as holy in his eyes with an unstained innocence. For it was always in his perfect plan to adopt us as his delightful children through our union with Jesus, the anointed one, so that his tremendous love that cascades over us would glorify his grace. For the same love he has for his beloved one, Jesus, he has for us. And this unfolding plan brings him great pleasure. Since we are now joined to Christ, we have been given the treasures of redemption by his blood, the total cancellation of our sins, all because of the cascading riches of his grace. This super 
abundant grace is already powerfully working in us, releasing within us all forms of wisdom and practical understanding. And through the revelation of the anointed one, he unveiled his secret desires to us, the hidden mystery of his long-range plan, which he was delighted to implement from the very beginning. And because of God's unfailing unfailing purpose, this detailed plan will reign supreme through every period of time until the fulfilment of all the ages finally reaches its climax, when God makes all things new in all of heaven and earth through Jesus Christ. Then it says, for in, in a little later on, for it was only through this wonderful grace that we believed in him. Nothing we did could ever earn this salvation, for it was the gracious gift from God that brought us to Christ. So no one will ever be able to boast, for salvation is never a reward for good works or human striving. Hmm. For we are his masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus. For the good works that he planned for us to do. How you going, Em? What are you doing? Um, no, sure, yeah. <laughs> ah, looks good. Looks great. Can you see that? It's uh, like I thought she was just slapping some paint around, but there's some actual, some form and some purpose to that. Keep going. Oh, I don't know why I said that. She will anyway. Did, did you get that idea that of what God is doing? This craftsman at work and he is painting this incredible picture. And what we learn from that passage is some important things about the master and his work. Firstly, did you notice? It brings him great pleasure. You ever like been into an artist studio or someone doing something with wood or a sculptor or a film editor and you've looked at what they're creating and you go, how can you, how can you do that? Why do you bother? You know, there's just so much detail. And yet you talk to an Emily and talk to some of the craftspeople here and there's many of them and they'll say, because we love it, because <laughs> we've got this passion, because it's the thing that, I just love doing. I know when I was really busy and I would edit all week and I'd get to the weekend and Diane would say, what are you going to do to relax? And I'd say, I'd love to do some editing. <laughs> you know, right, isn't it? And yet someone walks into the room and says, he's off his tree. I mean, especially with editing, because they just say, really? Really? You enjoy that? If you've got the brain defect that works, it's a fantastic thing to do. And God takes great pleasure, that scripture says, in working on his plan that is known from the beginning of time, and the pleasure comes because he can see the masterpiece. He's not, he's not hoping that in the end, this huge masterpiece that we read about Revelation will be revealed. He knows it will be. He knows when it will be. And he knows how spectacular it will be. And he brings great pleasure in that. He brings great pleasure when you come before him and say, Father, do your work in me. Paint your picture in me because God's not interested in just coming along and putting a bit of paint over the bad bit to cover that or ironing out that crease in the canvas so it's not there anymore he's creating us anew he wants us to be part of that it's a beautiful thing and God chooses some amazing colors doesn't he did you see the colors he chose us in that passage he, he, he loves using this color called grace 
It's a fantastic color. It is deep, a deep, deep, deep color. You just look into it and it just keeps going and going and going. It just keeps giving and giving and giving. And God says this masterpiece has got grace all the way through it. In the words of Dulux Paint, it just keeps on keeping on. And God doesn't say, I'm just going to put a little bit in the corners. He says, I'm going to get the paint pot and I'm going to tip it over the whole jolly canvas. I'm going to lavish it on this masterpiece. I'm going to cascade like Les Murdy Falls in its full glory. Cascade grace all over everything. It is all about grace. And Paul just keeps reminding people all the way through the letters. You know, by grace we've been saved. Grace is the core value of God's masterpiece. And therefore it should be one of the core values of our church life. It should be the grid by which we put everything, all our relationships, all our dreams, all our plans, all our programs, everything. Grace is there. And Paul says to Titus, out of grace comes another wonderful colour. It's called salvation. And this masterpiece won't be complete without salvation in it. Even though for the master craftsman it's the most expensive part paint that he can use because it even cost him his son and yet he says without salvation the masterpiece just wouldn't happen without a place where I can bring my created beings and I can pour on them this other color called forgiveness and another color called redemption and can bring them to that place then the masterpiece won't work it's so reliant on this color of salvation and there's forgiveness and there's acceptance and there's adoption and there's inheritance. And there's, a, there's another color that just draws you in. You see this color in the masterpiece and it just draws you in and, and wraps around you and you never want to let go. It's the color called love. All the way through this, this wonderful masterpiece. It's a, it's a beautiful masterpiece. And it leads, and the good news is, did you hear it? Did you hear it in that verse? Did you hear it when Steve read that verse? Did you hear it when I read that verse? We are his masterpiece. And the masterpiece has a purpose, isn't it? Says it in Ephesians 1. The purpose of the masterpiece is to bring him praise and glory. God gets delight because he knows that this masterpiece, when it is functioning in the way that he's designed it, brings him praise and glory. And it brings him praise and glory today. And it will bring him praise and glory in eternity, throughout eternity. It's a wonderful thing. You see, this isn't a last-minute idea of God's. This master thing didn't wake up one morning and say, what should I do today? Oh, no, I'll just throw a bit of paint on a piece of paper. It says, from the beginning of time, not only before you were born, but from the beginning of time, God planned this masterpiece. And he says, I'm going to make these masterpieces and they bring praise and glory, and they do, they do. They created anew so that they can do. Do what? They can be part of creating the masterpiece. You know that? God's masterpiece is awesome. Think of it. It says in Revelation, where, where, where is it? It's in the Bible. Um, it's normally at the back of the Bible, but Brian Simmons has tricked me, and he's put Psalms and Proverbs at the back for some unknown reason. But... Well, because that's the only part of the Old Testament he's done so far, I guess. Um, his, his, I won't ask you to close your eyes because you might go to sleep. So leave your eyes open. But, but picture this, right? 
After I looked, and behold, right in front of me I saw a vast multitude of people, an enormous multitude, so huge that no one could count, made up of victorious ones from every nation, every tribe, people group and language. They were all in glistening white robes, standing before the throne and before the Lamb with palm branches in their hands, and they shouted with a passionate voice, Salvation belongs to our God seated on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels were standing in a circle around the throne with the elders and the four living creatures. Do you see that? Can you see that? God can see that and he's excited. And they worship God singing, Amen. Praise and glory, worship and thanksgiving, honour, power and might belong to our God forever and ever. Amen. That is not only where we're going with every people and every tribe and every nation and every ethnic group. God says, that's what I'm painting. Do you want a part of it? You imagine you're walking down the road, it's the beginning of the uh, 16th century, I guess. You're walking down the road and you bump into your mate Mike. And you say, Mike, do you want to hang out today? He says, oh no, I've, I've got to paint the ceiling of a church. <laughs> well, really? But you used that excuse for the last two years. He said, yeah, I've got another two years to go. <laughs> so come along, have a look. You go and look at Mike painting the ceiling of the church. And he's not using Dulux flat white, he's using every colour you can imagine. You say, do you want a hand? He said, no, I don't need a hand. I can do it by, by myself. But you know what? If, it, if you want to, you can dab a little bit of colour up there. Or you can dab a little bit of colour up there too, if you like. You go home and your wife says, what have you been doing today? He said, oh, I've been helping Michelangelo with the Sistine Chapel. And I'm going to get a job as a tour guide so I can take people around, around it and say, look at the ceiling. Michelangelo and I painted that. And God says, do you want to come and put a dab of colour on my masterpiece? Do you want to? I don't actually need you. I can do it myself. But do you want to do that? Wow, do I what? Well, come to the Global Action Prayer Meeting then. We say prayer meeting. Oh, I don't go to prayer meetings. Do, do you want to come? It's a studio, actually. The prayer meeting is a studio. And you come and you dab a piece of colour as you, as, as, you as you speak before God about the work of Stephen and Daisy and Sam and Eva and these guys and Kyla. Because that's God's plan. He says, you know what? I've got a tool. It's called prayer. And it's in your hands. I've got another instrument. And it's called you. And you can dab some colour on this masterpiece. How'd, how'd, how'd you be? How'd you be? Beat, even beats helping Mike out. But that's what it's about. God says, that's the masterpiece. Do you picture it? That's what we're talking about when we're talking about missions. Because God has introduced this amazing colour. It's, it's one that he... he actually worked out in the first place but um, you see it it's this amazing color made up of all these different colors it's called ethnic diversity and sadly historically the church hasn't been very good at working with that color in fact in in history we have to sadly admit that the church has been responsible for trying to destroy the color and supporting segregation and slavery and discrimination and let's wake up to the fact that that is a beautiful beautiful color in fact god says something wonderful about that color back in that passage today bear with me because i have to find it but it really will be worth finding thanks to you while we find that can we just have a quick look at what em's doing oh can you see that just lean to your, this way. Yes, it. 
Look at that, see? It's not even done yet. But it's getting there. God's masterpiece is not done that yet, but it's beautiful as it is. So anyway, let me find this. Thanks, Em. Keep going. Okay, have a listen to this bit of passage. Oh. Um, so straight after God says, you are, my part, you are my masterpiece, then he says this. Yet look at you now. Everything is new. Although you were once distant and far away from God, now you have been brought delightfully close to him through the sacred blood of Jesus. You have actually been united to Christ. Our reconciling peace is Jesus. He has made Jew and non-Jew one in Christ by dying as our sacrifice. He has broken down every wall of prejudice that separated us and has now made us equal through our union with Christ. Ethnic hatred has been dissolved by the crucifixion of his precious body on the cross. The legal code that stood condemning every one of us has now been repealed by his command. His triune presence has made peace between us by starting over, forming one new race of humanity. Through his crucifixion, hatred died. What an amazing colour. What a beautiful colour that we can celebrate and with, that we can work in. I'm so blessed that God, through my life, has just for some reason that I can never fathom, he, he uh, has given me the opportunity to travel to like 45 countries and in most of those countries you go to places which are not in the Lonely Planet Guide. You go into these little corners of God's, of God's vineyard and you find an ethnic group and you, your life is just stretched and grown, your worldview changes. Um, it's just amazing to meet these people because as you meet them, what you get a glimpse of is what God is doing and you're reminded of the masterpiece. I met a guy called Simon Carlin. He's from a, a people group in Nepal and strangely, the name of the people group is Carlin. Um, and everybody in the people group, 20,000, 15, 20,000, their surname is Carlin place have it with the postman um you know and i've noticed one of our one of our partners is going down the same track and you know mike and amanda albany have moved to albany because they want the same name as that don't worry i'm not moving to halls creek um although i am often up the creek um but simon carlin was a tour guide right so people would come from all over the world and go for some unknown reason hiking through the himalayas not up it but you know to the base camp or something and he had a group from singapore one day and one time and he noticed that every time they stopped for some food these guys would sit down all put their heads down close their eyes one of them would speak then they'd open their eyes and then they'd eat their food and he noticed they did this every time and he said to them what, what are you doing and one of them said well that's something that we like to do is give thanks to our God. We recognize that good things come from him and the food comes from him and we want to acknowledge him as we eat every day. It's called grace. He said, oh, okay, good idea, fine. And, you know, on the journey, they talked a little bit now and again, but not much. And on the last day, the tour leader came up to him and said, Simon, I'd like to pray with you before we go. And he said, oh, that's fine. You can pray for me. Good. <laughs> I don't know whether he thought that meant they would eat him afterwards but um, <laughs> you, you can you can pray pray for me and he said no Simon I want to pray with you you're going to pray too and he said oh, I don't think so I don't do that prayer stuff he said well let's just see what happens they start praying and within a very short time Simon was in tears 
and asking God for forgiveness and acceptance and his love and, and, and inviting him into his life. And then and the tour went on its way, went home and Simon got connected with some believers, and particularly a missionary guy from Albany, from Blackburn in Melbourne, who I know. And, um, and one night this missionary said to him, we're having, we're having a baptism tomorrow morning at two o'clock in the morning because we have to do it privately. And we're having it at two o'clock in the morning in a mountain stream. Now, I've never put my toe into a mountain stream that is fed from the creeks in the Himalayas, but I suspect it's not like a spa bath, right? It would be freezing cold at two o'clock in any time of the day, but especially two o'clock. So Simon said, no, that's not me. I don't, I'm, not, I'm not getting up at two o'clock. I like my beauty sleep, um, and I'm not ready for baptism. Before two o'clock that night, God woke him up. He said, Simon, in the drink. So Simon turns up at this little baptism show and he's, he's, he's dunked and he comes out and they rushed in to put the, some blankets around him so he doesn't catch whatever it is, hypothermia or whatever you do. He said, no, there's something I have to do first. He went and knelt down and he said, Father, don't let me be the only Carlin in heaven because he was the first of this people group to become a believer. He said to me, it took three years before one, two years I think, before one of somebody else became a believer. Three years, there were 11. When I spoke to him, there was 250 Carlins to go to heaven. Because <laughs> you see, what Simon did, he saw the end picture. He, he believed what it says in Revelation. He said, gosh, I don't want to be the only one there. I don't know how I'd cope if nobody else has got the same surname as me. You know, <laughs> it's a beautiful thing, isn't it? Because he believed the picture. I met a guy called Norval in Brazil. He was in Brasilia, um, the capital, and he's a linguist. And he's known to the government and the government agents, agents, uh, agencies for his skills with language and stuff. And he's a Bible translator. They came to him one day and said, we've just found two guys walking out of the jungle somewhere. And they appear to be the last remaining members of their tribe. We've never heard of them before. And we've taken a while to work it out, but we just worked it out that because they're both men, they, the tribe won't keep growing and going. It's going to die out. And they said, would you go and learn their language and work with them so that we can document something of this tribe? And Norval said to me, I'm on a winner. He said, at least 50% of the people group I'm working with has to become a believer. At least one of them has to be because he saw the picture. And he believed the word that there would be people from every tribe and nation and ethnic group. It was sort of like a bit of a you know, funny comment. But, you know, that's, that's if, we, if we see this masterpiece, it affects what we do. Because right at the middle of the masterpiece, the, cent, the masterstroke of the masterpiece is the cross of Jesus. That's what Paul says. And out of that cross comes all these colors. You take the cross out of the masterpiece and it doesn't work. It's the masterpiece. And at the cross, hate is dissolved and love is taken into its place. There is no room for racial prejudice and segregation and a sense of racial superiority even in the masterpiece of God. That's all gone with the cross. I'm, we're so blessed too as a church that we get to... Sorry, Steve. So, it's, so We're so blessed... Um, with a, as a church that we get not only to partner with 
other guys who are doing this stuff in Australia and other countries, but we get to partner with people of different ethnic origins who are in love with what God has, with the masterpiece that God is creating in their countries. And I think particularly today of Stephen and, and Daisy, I wonder if we can just bring up that um, other PowerPoint. Thanks, Adam. Um, is there a map before that or after that? I'll go back to Stephen and Daisy, that's right, sorry, I didn't recognise him. He's a, look, bit, he's a bit younger. You remember K.R. Stephen, actually his surname is Stephen. His first name is unpronounceable, so we call him Stephen. Um, and he was, he was here last year sometime. We've been supporting these guys for Beres nearly 30 years. Yeah, a uh, long time. And they've just, he's such a passionate, passionate fellow. I've never met Daisy, but I guess she has a passionate too, right, Rod? And Anne? Yeah, and, one, and what God said to us is, as a church, masterpieces. I've got these couple of masterpieces over in India working on the masterpiece. And if you want the privilege of dobbing a bit of colour on, on the masterpiece, partner with them, walk with them, pray with them, support them. Now, let's look at the map. So these guys live, uh, well, down the bottom off the map. <laughs> they live down here. Uh, in the Black Curtain, um, in a place called Kerala. Don't know what happened there. Um, which is right down the south, the south of India. And there um, they run three schools, which are called Hope Bible Schools. It's part of the India Pentecostal Church. And those schools, um, I mean, Stephen himself has a doctorate. Is Dr. K.R. Stephen. He's a doctor in divinity, major in missions. He teaches these, these students... Um, um, about missions and about the scriptures. They come out with a degree in theology. Um, but he doesn't just stay down there in Kerala. He goes up to places like uh, Uttar Pradesh, which is up there, and Bihar State, and I don't know how that red knob's on the, that state. That is the state of Uttar Pradesh, Bihar. Anyway, two other states he goes and visits. Now, they're not just little visits. You don't hop on the aeroplane and get up there. It's huge. I mean, I've done it. I've done the trip from Chennai to Bihar State. And that, well, I, <laughs> I said to a guy one day, I've heard this story that I really want to film up in Bihar. It's a guy who's come back from the dead. And I'd really, really like to film him. <laughs> Wouldn't you? And they go, really? Why? You know, because that happens there. And so I said, not knowing where Bihar State was, he said, I'll fix it. Saw him the next day and he said, we leave tomorrow. I said, fine. Will we get back the same day? He said, no, it'll take four days just on the train to get there. So I don't know how long Stephen takes on a train, but it will be at least four days. And third class on an Indian train is no picnic, right, Steve? There's no room service, there's no in-house movies, there's no toilets, there's no mattresses on the bed. There's, there's no space. I was on a bunk on the third thing, third, third class thing, the top bunk. There's three bunks behind me. I was on the top, and next to me was this old man. Like, you've got a little gap where you can get down, but he's a, there's this old Indian man right next door to me when I went to sleep. And I woke up after a while, and, and there was a quite nice-looking 18-year-old girl right next to me. My daughter's underneath me, and I'm going, oh, Rachel, are you still asleep? Going, going, well, what happened? But you see, they buy, a family buys a ticket. A family buys one ticket, and they take shares in the bunk. So you don't know what's going to happen. And you get down off the bunk because you're going to go to the toilet, put your, put your sneakers on. And my watchdog said to me, where are you going? 
darkness into the toilet. He said, put your gumboots on. You know, it's like, it's not nice. But Stephen, Stephen does this. He just will, he, he will pay the physical price and travel up to Bihar State, which is called the graveyard of missionaries, um, to Uttar Pradesh, where they have three schools that run, three schools? No, they don't. They just have a school, I think, that runs out of the YWAM base. And people from the villages come into that base and he teaches them and they go back and share the story of the masterpiece with their people. And God uses that. And this, these guys do it really tough. As you know, they've been serving. Maybe show some photos just as I'm talking. Thanks, Adam. These guys have just been um, serving God out of a heart, and they're not resource-rich. Um, in fact, they're probably resource-poor, but they, everything they've got, they put into serving these students, and, um, and they serve the community. They're involved with the children's home, and we know that the floods that were in Kerala recently... Um, which were disastrous. They got involved with helping out there as well. They are, they are amazing people that God's got doing this stuff. And he says to us, come along, pray for them. You know how much they're like dependent on God? They are dependent on God. And God says, I will supply your need and I'll give Kalamunda the blessing of being, actually maybe even their major supporters, um, those that pray for them. Um, and they, that's where the people are praying for uh, relatives who they've lost in the floods and Stephen and Daisy are in the middle of there just bringing hope, uh, hope to them. Um, I'd just like to say uh, there's a couple of um, odd ones out in the middle there um, and um, you say hey, what a blessing it is for Kalamunda to be connected with those guys through Rod and Anne because Stephen and Daisy are just doing this stuff and it's really tough and they're in, in situations that are challenging emotionally and physically and financially in every way. But you got, we've got, God's put in our midst a couple who are incredibly skilled and experienced in that area of just uh, being able to provide counsel and wisdom. And these guys just go over there and uh, just walk with them for a while. And um, they've just come back from doing the same thing with Sam and Eva. Welcome back, Rod and Anne and Jess. Um, good to have you back. Good to have uh, Rob back as well from Rwanda. Look forward to hearing some of those stories later on. But it is awesome when God says, you know, you can pray, you can give, and you can go. And these guys go, and they just walk the walk with them. Um, beautiful, be beautiful story. Beautiful, beautiful people. Um, I, um, when we were in China working with Kyla, we, were, we lived in the same town as her for three years. It was like working with Mother Teresa, four years. Um, but Di went there to, she thought that the colour that God was going to bring to the place through her was to care for premature babies, these children who just would come in and they would die. And uh, she went there really believing that that's what got her there. Nothing else would have got her there, but that got her there. Um, and um, she was aware of a lady who'd been her predecessor who would go into a ward and would just seek father and say, Father, which, which child should I take to my home today and, and nurse and nurture for four weeks, six weeks until, until they're strong enough? And I thought, that's why I'm coming to China. And we've only been there a couple of days. We sat down with the project leader to work out what our roles would be. Um, and I remember saying to Di, I know you came here to do that, but we have this big need. And I just feel like Father's going to connect you with this need. There's, there's uh, eight boys and they're 12 to 20-something and they just sit staring at a scungy black blank wall all day long. That was their life. They, they, had, they lived with various disabilities and, 
And, um, and Alison said, really love you to just try and connect with them and to find what you can do that to just to bring life into that very scungy place. And Diane didn't have a clue, but mm, um, she waited on God and God showed her and she worked in, a, in, in art and craft and she just, she just did an amazing thing with those boys. And when we left, lots of people, the carers said things to us, you know, thanking us for coming well, not me, but they did to Diane anyway, um, and said what a good job she'd done. And one of them said, thank you for bringing colour to our lives. And when I heard that, I thought, what better way can you spend your life than bringing colour to someone's life? There's a lot of colour around us. We don't, not many of us spend all day staring at blank walls, but, you know, we bring colour to each other's lives. We bring God's colour to each other's lives. We bring God's colour to the lives of people who are, who are smitten in the flood, raging floodwaters of Kerala through our connection with Steve and Daisy. We bring colour to the lives of people in bushfire, a children's home in Uganda, through our connection with Sam and Eva, through the work of Mike and, um, and YFC in Australia, through the work of ICC in China, through the chaplains in our areas, and through whatever each of us are involved with. We're actually bringing God's colour into lives. That's the doing. And that's what mission is about. Um, we're going to just have a, a move into a time of communion. Well, we won't have that video. Thanks, Adam. Thanks for standing by. Um, as, we, as we come today... This really is a time we've deliberately had the communion now and we're, we're going to have it just in silence because sometimes we just don't focus enough on this wonderful... Well, we do focus on it. We focus on it in, in preaching and in worship. But in our own personal reflection time, focus on what it is that God has done in us. How amazing is His grace. How amazing is his love and his salvation. It is stunning. This plan of God is outrageous and atrocious. And as you receive the bread and the cup today, just hold it for a second until we all have that. And as you're holding it in this quiet space, just ask God to, I guess, reinvigorate you or recenter you on what it is that God has done in you. He has poured this out upon us. And let him cascade that grace onto you. Let him cascade that love onto you. Because it's about receiving all that God has done in us. It's about us saying, that's, that's what I want to live for. That want, that's what I want to be on my, fo my focus in life. Not, I don't want my artwork to be about my ambition or my comfort or my plans. I want it to be about what, firstly, what God is doing in me so that I can be part of what he is doing for eternity. The same night in which Jesus was handed over, he took bread and he gave thanks. 
Then he distributed it to the disciples and said, Take, eat it, and eat your fill. It is my body which is given for you. Do this to remember me. He did the same with the cup of wine after supper and said, This cup seals the new covenant with my blood. Drink it. And whenever you drink this, do it to remember me. Whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are retelling the story, proclaiming our Lord's death until he comes. Maybe he's retelling the story for you today, a story that maybe you've forgotten or maybe it's got buried somewhere. And it's just the time today as we sit and remember the centerpiece of the masterpiece, which is the cross of Jesus. We reflect upon that color of salvation, of that amazing grace, of that amazing love. Father God, uh, thanks just seems a weak word. But I pray, Lord, that your grace would be released over on us now. And with that grace might come an increased insight into the place of the cross of Calvary in our lives, that rugged cross, that painful cross, that amazing cross. Thank you for that place where so much wrong was dissolved and completely destroyed. And so much beauty and grace took its place. Father, we celebrate that now in Jesus' name. Let's eat that bread together. Oh, as you drank that cup. <laughs> You declared your belief in the day when the masterpiece will be revealed. This is to drink this cup until I come. And the masterpiece, Emily's masterpiece has been revealed. Isn't that a wonderful thing? That's going to stand every week in... Uh, in the, in the foyer or somewhere, I think. I think that's the plan. I shouldn't probably say it's going to. There is a possibility that will stand every week in the foyer as you come in over mission time, just to remind, just remind ourselves when we come in of God's masterpiece, that his paintbrush is at work in our lives, that he's bringing colour to our lives so that we might do, so that we might bring colour to our other lives. And if I could just read a passage before, we're going to sing um, a song called Build My Life in a short time. And while we're singing that, I just want to invite you, while we're singing that, if God is challenging you, if you want to today make a declaration to God that, that, that you want His color to flow in your life and through your life, that you, you want to be a person who's available for Him to change and create anew, that as we sing this song and please come forward, if you just want to make a declaration to God, not to the people, but to God today, and you want to do something physically about that, do we want to come and say to God, I just so delight in where we're going, and I just so want 
others to come with me. I, want, I so want to accept your invitation to be one that dabs a piece of colour on your masterpiece. Then this song is a place to do that. But before we sing it, listen again to these words, would you? Please. And they were all singing this new song of praise to the Lamb. Because you were slaughtered for us, you are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals. Your blood was the price paid to redeem us. You purchased us to bring us to God out of every tribe, every language, every people group and nation. You have chosen us to serve our God and formed us into a kingdom of priests and reign, who reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard the voices of myriads of angels in circles around the throne, as well as, as, well as the voices of the living creatures and the elders, myriads and myriads. And as I watched, all of them were singing with thunderous voices, Worthy is Christ the Lamb who was slaughtered to receive great power and might, wealth and wisdom and honour and glory and praise.